0: Well, the Dallas Cowboys' magical 2016 season has come to a heartbreaking end. I know that we were thinking Super Bowl this year. We had all the ingredients. Uh, the team looked poised to make a run. But, you know, to say that this season was, was a failure would be, would be wrong to say. You know, when you look at the adversity that the Cowboys overcame, as heartbreaking and as devastating as that as that painful loss was against Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers, uh, you gotta focus on the positives. You gotta focus on the the amazing young talent that we have all over the field. You gotta focus on Dak Prescott. Um, and when you look back at the game, Dak Prescott played great, uh, on, with the exception of that uh, interception that he threw on that screen pass, which I didn't understand the play call uh, to begin with. You know, you're pounding them, pounding them. The run was so effective. I wish that uh, we, we went to the run a little more often, a little earlier. I think that we came out of the gates and and we played right into the Green Bay Packers game plan. Zeke did end the game with 22 carries, but um, I felt in a a game of this magnitude against the the caliber of player that Aaron Rodgers is and just how surgical he looked slinging the rock around, I I think that we needed to feed Zeke 30 times, maybe get McFadden some carries, uh, really keep Aaron Rodgers off of the field. I mean, Zeke was running the ball at 5.7 yards a tote. And in fairness to the play calling of the Dallas Cowboys, they went in an early hole. Um, and just the tremendous heart and, and will that they showed to fight back up. Uh, it made me proud to be a part of the Cowboy Nation. And I know that fans across the nation are, you know, we're still, we're still licking our wounds. It was a tough way to lose. You climb back from that big deficit. You know, DeMarcus Lawrence made a big TFL, and then Jeff Heath, who had, who, I mean, man, did he have some game. The interception, should have had two interceptions, and then the big sack. Uh, overtime looked like, looked like a certainty, but, you know, we needed the defense to stand strong one play, and Aaron Rodgers did what he does best, and that's, you know, make, make a play. You know, extend the play, get outside of the pocket, and put that ball through a keyhole hit the open receiver and, and the only place that he could have threw that ball is uh, the receiver slipped past Byron Jones on that last play of regulation before the field goal. As many of us assumed he would, Des Bryant had a big game. You knew that he was going to come in with a chip on his shoulder after you know his infamous catch that wasn't a catch, which we all know was certainly a catch. Uh, even Green Bay Packers, a legendary Super Bowl II champion, Don Horn was quoted saying, that that was a catch anyway he had a, over hundred thirty yards and two touchdowns and you know a shame to see that all for not as, uh, as the Cowboys were eliminated last week you know it took me a while to get over the loss and, and get back on the mic and put out this week's episode folks but I do have a surprise for you Cowboy Nation a little something to help lift your spirits we got a guest this week on the show who is a true NFL legend all-time Dallas Cowboys great and original shutdown corner. On the field, this man was known for taking away, not giving opposing offenses an inch. Off the field, however, this man took the phrase, give you the shirt off his back, to a whole new meaning. And we'll talk about that in the interview So we welcome Cowboys legend, four-time Pro Bowler, Everson Walls. Joining
1: the big star show, Cowboy Nation, let's welcome in a true NFL legend. This man was an interception machine back in his playing days, Everson Walls. Everson, how are you?
2: What's going on? What's going on? How you doing, buddy?
1: Oh, doing well and uh, certainly, certainly pleased to have you joining us on the show. Thank you so much for that, Everson.
2: Nah, no problem. You know, It's like giving young folks a chance, man. I don't know how young you are, but I'm sure you're younger than me, you know?
1: So I just, to, turned, just turned 30 so, years old.
2: Oh wow! Oh my God! I am just turned 57 on December 28th. So, oh, oh happy I, I birthday!
1: birthday. Yeah. Happy birthday! And uh, you, you end the year with a bang, and then you you come in the year strong. That's that's a good way to to close out the year. The birthday and the new year, of course. Mm-hmm. So, Everson, you you were born just outside of Dallas, Texas. From what I read, two miles away from the Dallas Cowboys practice facility. Tell us a little bit. About your childhood and what it was like growing up in Texas.
2: You know, it was, it was, uh, it was fun. It was a little bit rough. You know, we came in, uh, to the Richardson School District around the, on the heels of, of integration. And so it was, uh, you know, it started off like very strange. I remember, uh, you know, I didn't have any white friends growing up. And then all of a sudden, uh, at, believe I was, um 11 years old, and I started playing my first year of Pee Wee League football. And, you know, we didn't have, you know, in, in our neighborhood, we didn't have a, a league, so we had to go to the white league. It was called Spring Valley Athletic Association. And they, you know, allowed us to play. You know, integration was, was all the thing at that time. And uh, we ended up uh being our world opening up to uh, a whole new race, basically. Because in my neighborhood, in Hamilton Park, it was all black. It was all black. And I, I really didn't have any white friends. And all of a sudden, I started playing on this team, and I've got white friends. And it was really kind of, kind of different, kind of cool. But then all of a sudden, you go to the school system.
0: And, you know,
2: having white friends was harder to come by when you're in a school. And, boy, we not only did we get into it with a lot of the, the, the students, but we also got into it with the administration. And it was just one of those uh, those growing pains of being part of uh, integration, where well, we were right on the on the cusp of that, you know, at eleven, you know, twelve, thirteen years old, and uh, you know, life was never the same after that. Some 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 good stuff and some bad stuff.
1: Wow, that, that's that's interesting. So yeah, I, I could imagine how that how difficult that could have been as a child, having to deal with some of the things I'm sure you you had to deal with. Um, mm-hmm. So you, you get into high school, and now you didn't play high school football until your senior year. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, that's true. Now, I, I, I did play when I was in Pee Wee League, okay, and, and up until uh, I think I played two years in Pee Wee League. I played a little bit in junior high, but when I got to high school, man, my, my world was so crazy at that time. I think I was 14, 15 years old. I had already been in a lot of trouble in junior high. Uh, getting into it with the teachers, getting into it with coaches, getting kicked off the teams. And, you know, that was pretty much the norm for, you know, all the all the black kids that I grew up with. You know, we were, you know, fighting against the system. You know, it was on the heels of the 60s. You know, everyone, you know, I grew up, you know, listening to Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, uh, knowing of their struggles, you know, I knew about, you know, John both the Kennedys you know, the sixties were a scary time, you know, to be a young kid and actually being aware of what was going on because my parents never hid anything from me. They wanted to make sure that I was aware of what was going on, especially on the heels of uh, you know, integrating into a, a, a new school system. You know, just, just you know, being aware of all of that. It really you know, that knowledge, you know, it really affected how what decisions you made throughout your entire life and sometimes being a young kid and being, uh, you know, being aware of the racism, being aware of the protests, being aware of the assassinations and things of that nature. Boy, you talk about being jaded. You know, I know kids are jaded these days. But, boy, we were extremely jaded at the time. And, uh, you know, as far as I was concerned, I think how they say there were shadows everywhere. You know, there was a conspiracy everywhere, you know, at, at 14, 15 years old. So, you know, playing sports really took a back seat. To my rebel rebellious nature you know what i mean and um i think that's the best way i can put that it, it didn't do well in regards to it wasn't a great learning environment it wasn't a great social environment everything was about you know fighting the system because that's what we saw what was happening around the entire world especially wow. around the united states
1: yeah it's amazing to think that, that our country was that way and it really wasn't that long ago huh?
2: it really was not i mean that's fresh memory for me you know, and, and, you know, not to belittle what kids are going through these days, or young people are going through these days, of course, but, you know, it seems like the situation is even much dire, much more dire now than it was then. But when it's your first time going through it, and you know, you're, you're, you know, you're hopefully aware enough to know what was going on, that was, you know, that was it's just so new to us. That, that was our, uh, that was our, uh, age of, of confusion. That was our age of, of action. We that's what we thought as well, our age of action.
1: Wow. Oh, that's certainly uh, wild stuff. So uh so you play your senior year of high school and you lead the districts in interceptions, you dominate on the field and then you go and you play football at Grambling State. What was it like playing ball over there?
2: Oh man, Grambling was an entirely different environment. You know, when you when you grow up in a black neighborhood and then you're thrust into an uh, integrated situation you know, it, 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 like I said, it affects your decisions big time and it affects your, it, it affects the way you look at yourself, not just as a person, but also look at your, your race as a people. Uh, all of that was affected. So I, eventually, I had to, uh, I had to make sure I had to somehow instill self worth, you know what I mean? In myself. You know, I had to, I had to believe in myself and I had stopped believing in myself as a, a person that really had, you know, a viable future. I didn't, you know, I wasn't thinking I was going to be out on the streets or, you know, poor or things of that nature. I always had a great family with great support. That was always what was battling against, you know, what was going on you know, in America for me and my my uh, friends and my circle. But eventually, um, I just had I had to I had to figure out that you know life just wasn't about being rebellious. And I wanted to escape from that, so sports was the way I did that. You know, eventually, I after my uh, senior year—I'm sorry, after my sophomore year, junior year—no, no football. Sophomore year, no football. Then all of a sudden, I'm—you know—I'm at a crossroads in my life. You know, I had been to juvenile, uh, i had gotten arrested, and you know, once I came out of the juvenile system, it was just a couple of weeks, no big deal. But it was at 14, 15 years old—that was a. That was crazy. It, it, it was. A, I was at a time in my life where like, I got to do something different. But regardless of what's going on in my life, I need to find a way to be more positive. I need to find a way to be more successful. You know, I need to find a way to 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 be that person that my parents, you know, always aspired me to be. And so, uh, first thing I did was uh, went to the high school coach and asked him if I could start back playing football again. And boy, it, it was like it was like. I always these moments in my life where somebody was waiting on me to finally get it. They were looking at me, waiting on me to finally get it. And when I when I got it, I could see the expression on their face, like, "Wow, this dude here might just be okay." And that was the look that I, my coach, uh, my high school coach, came, my high school football coach, named Alan Holiday. Alan Holliday was uh was is a, 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 a guy that's still alive. He's very old right now. He's not doing so well. But he always supports me to this day when I speak, you know, because I I do public speaking. I do motivational speaking, and he's always there, especially in the Richardson area. Always comes and supports me because he was part of a whole process that changed my entire life to where I am today. And so him giving me that opportunity to play ball, that gave me an opportunity to go to Granville. You know, the two things I tried to take care of, Eddie, when I I, uh, tried to change my life. I got more involved in sports and I got me a freaking woman, dude. (laughs) I had to get a girlfriend. Right. I had to get a girlfriend, man. Somebody had to calm me down (laughs) because my life was all about me being a rebel. And, you know, I just had to look at the other side of that. And, uh, I ended up meeting this young lady. We already, we all, we all grew up together. But, you know, I didn't see, I didn't see anything, you know, in, all I saw in my rearview mirror was, was racism and, and, you know, bad peer pressure as well, you know, and friends that just did so many bad things, and and me trying to be right along there with them. So I had to veer off, you know, get on another track, and I ended up doing that by, you know, meeting a young lady, at least ingratiating myself to a young lady named Sherelle, and uh, she's still my wife to this day. And it's because of her that I turned my life around along with football. It was because of her that I ended up going to Grambling because she was already going to Grambling. I had a great senior year. I had led the district interceptions, as you said. And, you know, I you know doing stuff that I could have been doing if I would have stayed in football all this time. But uh, I thought I was going to be this basketball player and this rebel, and I was not that. And so she was the person that gave me the opportunity to go to Grambling. Uh, I followed her to Grambling, and that was the beginning of the rest of my life. You know, being there under this legendary coach. and I mean, how do you stumble into something like that? You know, your girlfriend's from Dallas, her mom's from Louisiana, her uncle coaches for Grand State University. I get a chance to go through him and see what kind of avenue I can get to go to and, and, and further educate myself after really not even thinking about college. That's just how what the, what the the frame, the mind frame I was in at the time, not even thinking about college. All I was hmm. thinking about was trying to hustle, you know, trying to, you know, see what kind of trouble I can get away with, you know, it was just all about that, and meeting her, and and, and with Coach Allen giving me that chance, and my mom and dad not giving up on me, it just gave me the opportunity to meet this, probably the most unique man I've ever met in my entire life, and that was Coach Eddie Robinson, it just, you know, every, every day was a, you know, of course, I told you, I grew up on the Malcolm X's, and the Martin Luther King's, and you know, I grew up on those guys, and next thing you know, I've got this guy who's—he's the Martin Luther King or Malcolm X of 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 the NCAA's. Wow. You know, that's what he was. He taught. He, he was a guy that that you know he came up doing it the right way. Uh, matter of fact, he, he was subjected to much more stress and and uh, responsibility than any coach probably trying to start a football program, even back then. Talking 1940, his his legacy was cemented already, uh, not just in black college football, but all coaches around the country knew just how great Eddie Robinson was. We're talking Joe Paterno. We're talking McKay. We're talking Parsegian, Eric Parsegian. You know, we we're talking coaches like that who are amazing, uh, legendary coaches. And I recall at the time he was the president of the American Football Coaches Association, and that's all coaches. That's not just black coaches. That's all coaches. And I thought that said a lot about his character. I thought that said, you know, not just the fact that he was uh, successful and, and was, you know, the winningest black college football coach, but he was also the winningest, among the winningest coaches in uh, college football period, Bear Bryant, all of those guys. They were always in a race to see who could win, you know, the most games. So that really, you know, legitimized him for me, not just in black college football, but just in all of sports, period. And so if they see him carry himself, you know, some guys like that, you never you never keep your eye off a guy like Eddie Robb. You know, you always want to look at him and see how he's, what he's thinking, the expression on his face. You wonder what he's thinking. You wonder what's going on in that, in that beautiful brain of his. And just listening to him, it, it just gave me a new lease on life. It gave me a new outlook. On how to carry yourself as a young man in America, especially a young African American, uh, it just really he gave me the blueprint on how to be successful.
1: Wow! And yeah, it just goes to show how important uh, having positive influences as a youngster is, and uh, in your case, and and just like you know myself, how important it is to have a good woman in your corner.
2: <laughs> you, you right know. about that, boy. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, like you said, a good woman. You know, a lot of women out there, they're gonna, they're gonna lead you the wrong way, and and (laughs) it's all about them. But, you know, she came from a good family, you know, and, and, you know, we all knew each other growing up. My family, you know, knew their family. We lived only about like, you know, a quarter of a mile from each other. I, I could walk to the house at any time. And so, just having that, uh, having that support, you know, having that support, having somebody there that had your back, When, you know, you're growing up with nobody, you felt like you had no one in your corner. And the guys that were in your corner, hell, they were in the same corner with you. So they were in trouble also. So (laughs) I needed somebody that came to the corner, not the one that was already trapped in that corner with me. (laughs) You know, I didn't didn't need those guys. They were all in trouble anyway, you know. So now she's always been there for me. She's there for me to this day you know always been somebody my sounding board and and uh you know my rock it has been like that since nineteen seventy six wow i think the date i think the date we started dating was uh september twenty eighth she always marks that date and we kind it kind of it's a it's a loose it's a loose uh <laughs> it's a loose date but uh it's always around september twenty eighth september twenty sixth to where you know we say this was the day that uh, we started dating
1: uh, that, that's great stuff that that really is um god bless the two of you for sure and uh you know ever since uh, looking back at your career i mean what a great career it was it's almost hard to believe that coming out of college the nfl scouts they had their doubts about you i mean you go undrafted i guess you really had a chip on your shoulder and you go to the hometown dallas cowboys uh, tell me a little bit about your experiences i know you come in as a rookie and you really you proved the naysayers wrong, you know, getting 11 interceptions and going to the Pro Bowl as a rookie.
2: Yeah, I was uh, it, I was extremely gratifying. There's no doubt about it. I mean, you know, my years at Grambling, man, they were so fulfilling, you know. I mean, you know, Grambling is Grambling. Country town, especially back in 1977, back in eighty. You know, country town, not much to do, thank God. But, you know, like all college kids, we're going to find some trouble to get into because it's college, you know. Absolutely. But the, the fact that it just wasn't a Big college, it wasn't in a, a big, uh, heavily populated environment. I think that was good for me. And being down there with Sherelle, you know, it it, you know, it, it kept me focused on what I needed to do off the field as well. You know, because Rob's uh, entire existence was about having great African-American student-athletes, student-athletes first. We graduated first. We're going to practice Oh, you know, Rob would be so pissed off right now with the rules in college, and I think they have some <laughs> rules on you know how how many times you can practice and how long you can right. practice. Rob's gonna run you to death, dude. He's gonna run you to death. <laughs> and uh, you know, I was always in shape because he's gonna run you to death. We would we would run before practice because he wanted to see how you would perform when you're fatigued. So I was accustomed to. You know, just, man, that's all I did. Just all we did was run, run, run. Our, weights, our weight room was horrible. You think, you talk about how they boycotted their weight room uh, just recently for the Grammy State program. I think that was about four years ago. Man, you should have seen the weight room when we had it. I'm surprised we came out of there alive. You know, all the mold around there and the asbestos. Nobody gives a crap about how our weight room looked then. <laughs> You know, we had, we had to make up a, a bench. Uh, I think we took a bench from, you know, from behind the lockers, you know, amongst the lockers. Uh, we just took a folding chair. That was how we did our shoulder presses, you know, bench press. We would just actually be on a, uh, a, a locker room bench and, you know, and we, you talk about piecemealing a weight room. We did that ourselves. That's how dedicated we were, uh, in 1980 because at Grandma, you just don't lose. And we wanted our class, graduating class of 1980, to be the class to, you know, to be one of Rob's best. I mean, that's the pride that we had in ourselves. That's from listening to Coach Rob every day, telling us how great we can be, how great we are, you know, how hard we have to work in order to stay great. You know, and he didn't just talk about it. You know, you got to read the history. You know, you got to know he led by example. You know, they said he mowed the yard. Before the games, when he first started the grammar, he mowed the 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 field. You understand? I'm not talking about one of those power riding lawnmowers. (laughs) We're talking about we're talking about one of those one generation away from sickle blades are are lawnmowers. Okay? (laughs) So you can just imagine how dedicated he was to making sure grammar succeeded. So that's I'm just telling you. You got to look it up, man. That's, wow, that's the amazing. environment that he had there. That's the environment that, that's the attitude that we took going into every game because it wasn't just about football game. It was about, hey, we felt we were representing all black people at Grab. like I mean, you know, you, you have to be that, that, you have to have that kind of ideal in you as a young man. You have to at, 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 at that age. We had to have that, that thought process. Like, hey, if we don't do it, nobody will do it. That was how we were at that time as young people. So we were just very energetic about being ballplayers. We were very, very energetic about being Gramlinites. We were very, very, uh, uh, proud, you know, of the fact that, you know, we were one of the best black college teams in the country and we felt like we were the best college teams in the country. You know, we just, that's just the, the confidence that we had. And so, uh, you know, Rob gave me all of that, and I needed all of that when I went to the Dallas Cowboys. Because here you go, I lead the nation in interceptions. You know, my, my my boys always looked out for me. I led the nation in interceptions. We were such a, a close team, and then I get I get not one nibble in the pros. Come on, man. You know, so you know as a black brother, I'm like, man, it's black time. You know, <laughs> you know. It's the white man. You know, the white man don't want me to make it, blah, blah, blah. You know, they try trying to keep us down. You know, I had my, you know, come on, man. If, if I had a Afro at that time, I would have been freaking Angela Davis incarnate. You know what I'm saying? So, even though she's still alive. But anyway, uh, oh, man. it's just, that was just the attitude when I came to to, to the Cowboys. I mean, you know, and I, I got to backtrack a little bit, um my, I, I always tell people about my junior year. Everyone in that, everyone, every class of, of players, you know, as you sit in your dorm room, you know, you're like, okay, yeah, these these guys, these upperclassmen are good, you know, that these are our guys. You know, I hope we can win with those guys, but man, I want to start. You know, all all you know, we we as a class, our our defensive back class is better than the upperclassmen. You know, you know, forget those guys, man, we're better. So we sit in our room at night. You know, and talk about what we saw in practice, or you know what we thought about the upper class, and you know we always, you know, it was, it was competition. So we're like, man, right. those guys, it's crap. We're, we're we're better, you know. So here we are, you know, my class of 1977 that came in. We're all gonna uh, move up together and start together and things of that nature. My junior year, because all of the upper classrooms they were gonna leave. They were all the eligibility was running out. So we're like, okay, man, we're gonna man, we're gonna show Coach Rob just how good we are because my group. Was a bunch of, uh, misfits. To me, like this, uh, Eddie, there's prejudice on, in, in every level. And I say prejudice, that's a strong word. But you have your, your preferences. Coach Rob's preference was, he wanted some good old Louisiana boys. Okay? Northern Louisiana boys, they're from the country. No city boys. You know, guys that he can kind of control. You know, heavily influenced, you know, by example. Well, he didn't know that he was doing that for us, but I'm not some Louisiana. And my buddy, my my other defensive back buddies, they were from New Orleans. You know, Rob was more of a a rural a uh, coach. He didn't really like coaching city boys. So here, three of the four DBs, were city boys. So we were like the miss seven for us because the other guys that he wanted to play, the the rural boys, they were not as good as we were. We were we were handling Doug Williams. You know, he he taught us a lot. You know, we were Coach Rob taught us a lot as well. But we were very good at what we. Yeah, we were good at shutting down the other wide receivers in practice. So here it is, our our, senior, our junior year. We're all going to move up and be starters. But one of the freaking uh, upper class and stayed back for his fifth year of eligibility.
1: Oh boy. So, of
2: course, guess who's ass out? I'm the guy. I'm, I'm, the, oh, I'm no. the fifth guy. I'm that, I'm that thumb, okay? I'm that thumb over there, <laughs> you know, trying to connect with those other four guys. And, you know, we all the guys knew I was better. Than all the DBs we had on the team, but for some reason, and I say it's because I, I was from Dallas, I wasn't a Louisiana guy. They they chose for me, even though all the players knew I was better than the rest of them. They chose me to be the guy that sat out as far as you know being a starter. And because they knew I was a better defensive back, all my boys, those those three guys, they went to the coach. The fifth guy, the guy that stayed back for his fifth year, he did not go in and talk to the coaches. These guys did it with no I was just upset, okay' I was, I was extremely pissed, and the guys went to the coach and they told the coach Rob and Coach Collins, who was our defensive coordinator said can we we'd like to sacrifice our time so that they called me cubby so that Covey could get some playing time man i I can't believe the coach went for it, but you know because all three of them went to' him, you know in tandem they they you know in unison they ended up uh, listening to him so they sacrificed the second half of every game for me. You understand? Wow. We're talking about junior year. We're talking still big time college football. It's Grambling, okay? People watching Grambling. These guys gave up. The right corner gave up the second half of the first game. I'm talking prime time football. This is the time when you want to be in the game. Right. And each guy gave me the first half. Okay? Second second week I'm at left at right safety. Third week, I, made, I just revolve around clockwise. Third week, I'm right safety. Third, you know, fourth week, right corner. I just, went, I just, you know, did it like that. And that year was extremely eye opening for me because of my chance to finally get to play during prime time. And you know, you can't disappoint your boys if they're gonna sacrifice their time. Of you can't go out there giving it up. You know, you <laughs> can't go out there giving up bombs if the boys gonna give you your time. So a lot of you pressure.
1: You gotta shut it down.
2: I got to shut it down, man. So they ended up uh, – uh, I ended up having four interceptions that year, a couple of touchdowns. And so that that was like a, a springboard for me because, of course, the the upperclassmen was gone, and now now it's truly what we dreamed of as a, as a defensive backfield, truly what we te- dreamed of. And, boy, we didn't disappoint. I mean, I led the nation. You talked about it. 11 interceptions, right. I led the nation. Man, We we led the nation, you understand? And that's what I like about it. Whenever I had good years with interceptions, it permeated throughout the team. Grambling had never never led the nation in interceptions as a team before. We've had guys to lead the nation before. I think you got Steve Dennis led the nation in interceptions before. But no one had ever done it as a team. Grambling had never done it as a team, so boom, there we go. We led the nation as a team. And, you know, going back to the whole thing, you know, after all of that, they're talking about, I think the guy's name was uh Butler, uh from Florida State. He was he was Dion before Dion, but a a pale comparison. Pale comparison. Yeah, of course there's no Dion. But he was the guy they drafted first and uh if I'm not mistaken, they had a kid, I think it was I think it was Scott Case, safety from Georgia. They drafted that kid too. And I'm sitting up here looking at the draft. First day draft was over, you know, back in the day they would just do six rounds and six rounds. They didn't do a bunch of hype. For the right. first two rounds. It was six rounds, six rounds. So six rounds go by. I'm not in it. I'm not. I'm, I leave the freaking nation interception. And I didn't even get a sniff. Matter of fact, after the first day of the draft, here comes Gil Brandt. And boy, I was so mad at Gil Brandt. No, it wasn't Gil. It was uh, Gil <laughs> called me. It was Gil called me, but I can't remember who came down. I think it was John Wooten. John Wooten came down with a free agent contract. I'm like, the draft's not even over. <laughs> you know, wow. I'm a kid, man. I'm a kid. I'm 21 years old, and I'm, I'm trying to take all this in. You know, I, I, you knew life was unfair because I grew up on all that crap. But, you know, you thought if you earn it, you earn it. You know, that's what you thought. And right, I earned absolutely. it, and I didn't get it. I earned it, and I didn't get it, Eddie. So I was pissed. So right. I went to class the next year. I'm trying to graduate, dude. I'm trying to get out of the ground. Trying to get out of the ground with my woman, and I'm trying to – I don't want to have to be able to look back and say it was unfinished business. So I tried to take care of my business even through the moments of disappointment. So, you know, I ended up I, – I picked my poison. I, I, if my thing was the devil, you know. I'm not going to freaking Buffalo, okay? It's too cold for a <laughs> right. brother up in Buffalo. Man, I'm not going to Buffalo. And uh I think the other team was the Saints. And I ain't going to no New Orleans Saints. I am I love Louisiana, but I'm a Texas boy. All right? And I, I didn't want to go to a team – that had bags on, the fans had bags on their heads, okay? That was at the time. <laughs> I'm serious. That was at the time of the Aints, not the Saints. Right, right. That was the fans. They had the Aints, they had the bags on their heads and all that. I'm not going down there, man. I'm trying to get to, I'm trying to get to a winning environment. And the Cowboys come to town. I'm like, okay. I'm pissed off at the Cowboys for not drafting me. But, once again, the devil, you know. So I ended up picking the Cowboys because I knew the system. I knew the team. I knew them very well. I was a major Cowboy fan growing up, just as I am right now. And uh, so I I felt that if I was going to have a comfort zone, that was going to be the place to have it. Regardless of the situation upon which I was entering there, I still thought that that was the best place for me to be. And, you know, uh, Rob had me ready. Uh, I graduated. I was in a great system. I knew how to play one-on-one. The Cowboys played. Their system was perfect for how I played. Cornerback. They called it a zone, the flex zone, but it's not a zone. It, most of the time it turned into a man. And boy, did I need that man to man. I needed that man to man experience. Because when you're playing behind a flex defensive line that's made play to play the run, you are so vulnerable for the pass. Mm. And I was, I was hung out there, and Dennis Thurman tried to tell me. Uh, Charlie Waters tried to tell me. All these guys tried to tell me how tough it was playing cornerback for under a flex defensive system, and boy, I, I I learned I learned quickly. I learned so quickly. You know, when you when you play in the flex, the quarterbacks know that the, the strong cornerback is going to be by himself most of the time during play action. And Joe Theismann, Jaworski, Sims, Montana, all those fools, man. They they <laughs> sometimes sometimes they would look out at me and smile, like you know we're coming at you, right. <laughs> Jim Hart. Jim Hart. I think Jim Hart winked at me one time. I think he was – I don't think he meant to do it, but I think he was just so happy that he knew what he was getting. He was like, wow, I'm, I'm so joyful and gleeful. And he, they were just – I remember my, my rookie year, they calculated some, so many things uh, about, you know, my, my progress. Because, you know, I came out getting the interceptions. I came out uh, – you know, getting toasted. I came out getting toasted and getting an interception. It's just the way it was in that system. And um uh, God it, it was horrible. Fifteen to seventeen times a game they said they were throwing the ball uh uh at me. Wow. Because of the system itself. Fifteen to seventeen times a game I'm mm. getting action. You understand? I'm getting over now we're talking a run run first league, right? This is nineteen eighties. I mean, they were they were chucking the ball. I mean, you had the, the West Coast offense, you had the Chargers, you had the AFC teams, but most for the most part, except for the uh, except for the Forty uh, uh most teams were run first. And uh, boy, you talk about uh, baptism by fire. They came at me right away. I mean, as soon as I came in the game, uh, they're looking at my man. You know, they had already. I don't know if it's the way I walk. You know, I'm a knock knee, slew-footed brother, Eddie. And they look <laughs> at me. I think the way I walk on the field, they're like, oh, we got this guy. You know, lots of time. you know, They really just attack me. And it took all the experience that I had to fight these guys off. Uh, I was leading the league in interceptions before I even started. Wow. <laughs> I wow. Was leading, uh, the second game uh the second game we first game we had was in, in Washington. Joe Thysman comes at me. Uh during uh, you know, mop up time. We're we we blowing him out but you know I get a chance to play on third down. Joe was having a tough time back there and Doomsday was killing him. I'm surprised he survived that game. He threw up a duck to me and uh that sucker stayed up there so long. Uh me and Art Mugg almost had we almost had a freaking uh point counterpoint session. It took so long for the ball to come down. <laughs> And uh, I ended up, you know, coming down with it, and, and you, know, you know, I'm going to get my head knocked off. But, you know, that's game one, one in the session. Second game, I'm coming in Monday night, man. Wow. Monday night. We're time talking about Boston, One way in, one way out, man. The fans are the craziest fans I've ever seen. I never took my helmet off during the game because, you know, I, I heard about Boston, you know. <laughs> I, I didn't want to be that guy, you know. Right. I didn't want to be that one guy that gets, you know, hit in the face with a tomato or something, you know, (laughs) in Boston during the ball game. So I kept my helmet on. Got two interceptions that game. Wow. I got two interceptions, my first Monday night game. And the great, the late great Howard Cosell was in the booth with, I believe it was O.J. and Don Meredith. And Howard Cosell, after I got my second interception, Howard Cosell announced to the world, they finally found it. The Cowboys have finally found a starting cornerback that can make plays.
1: Wow. He announced
2: me to the world. I had no idea, of course, at the time. Right, right. That, that's what I heard. And, you know, I took off from there, man. As a matter of fact, I was starting before the game was over. You know, I had gotten that second interception. Uh, it was it was like around the third quarter. We were, we were blowing them out. You know, we had Dorsett. We got... Tony Hill, we got Drew Pierce, man, we're killing these guys. Von Springs had a great year; he had like thirteen touchdowns that year. So we're killing them, and so by fourth quarter, uh, we're going in, and uh, instead of me sitting back waiting on third downs, uh, Coach Gene Stallings told me, he said, "Hey, you're going in with the starting. You're going in with the starting guys this time." So this was around the beginning of the fourth quarter, and I knew at that time my life would definitely never be the same. So that was actually very. Uh, Sobering, eye-opening, and freaking satisfying, man. Because you know when you go to Grambling, and and most small schools, we got this chip on our shoulder all the time, and we need that validation. And when he said that was when he said you go in with that starting unit, you know, in my you know, no one. It was just me and him standing there, so there was no there was no one there to be like that's what I'm talking about, you know. So I had my little moment to myself, you know. That's what I'm talking about, you know, to myself that fist pump, and uh, that was just it. it was from then on, uh, he he announced it. Also, Gene Starling came up to me that next practice, that Wednesday. No one said anything about starting anything, but that Wednesday, when we finally started practice to prepare for the Cardinals the next week, he came up to me and said, hey, when we call the starters from now on, you know, because I was so young, Gene wanted to make sure that I was very assertive and believing in myself, so he had no idea that was unnecessary to tell me that, but, you know, he felt that it was necessary. He was like, hey, when we, from now on, when they call us starting, to, starting um, group, you go in. That's your job now. And, man, uh-huh. that, was, that was a very poignant moment for
1: me. I can imagine. That's amazing. You know, you went on to have an amazing career. I mean, 57 career interceptions. You played for guys like Tom Landry, who, you know, all-time great coach, four Pro Bowls, um, you know, Just, just an amazing career. You, you know, you had, you were on some successful Dallas teams. You never won, won, a Super Bowl, unfortunately, for the Cowboys. But you end up going to the rival New York Giants and, and getting your Super Bowl. Uh, you know, kind of an ironic
2: twist for a Cowboy great, huh? It's still ironic. <laughs> it's true. You know, because I still have, man, my Jersey fans, dude, my New York Jersey fans, they are so cool. They love me to death. All no, right, sure. they are. They feel so indebted to me, man. I, you know, I, I sometimes I think they love me more than the cowboy fans. It's, that is, a, it is such a. I'm serious. I'm serious, man. I, I get, you know, I, I get uh, a lot of uh, cowboy fans who are from the the New York, New Jersey area, and uh, I don't know something about New Yorkers, man. I can smell them when they come and do it. I can, I can hear them. I can. It's like I've got a a ultra sensitive Superman ear, you know, to hear. A uh, 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 New York, New New Jersey fan. I can, I can, I know by their voices. I know by their look. It's something about. I'll, I'll look at them and I'll sign an autograph. Even as a Cowboy fan, they'll come up to me and I'll say, "You're from Jersey, right?" Yeah, I should know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. I just know. <laughs> you we got know, those so accents, man. It's the accent, but it's the attitude too. It's not right. just the accent. It's the attitude. And that's the kind of attitude that I, I learned to have, you know, when I was going through my tough years growing up. And I think that kind of, uh, I think I, 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 uh, I envy that attitude because that's the attitude I had to have to survive, you know, to, to thrive under a tough uh, con- under tough conditions growing up. And I think I can just kind of, I can, I can relate to that. You know what I mean? I can relate to that. So. It's almost like I feel like we're brothers in a struggle, but from a totally, totally different struggle. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> it's just so weird, man. But, uh yeah, I, I always talk about interceptions. I, I talk about interceptions. I talk about it with the Cowboys. At Grambling, I led the nation, okay? And I say this to this day. Inter, in, interceptions are contagious. Oh, yeah. Grambling had never led the nation in interceptions until I got there. And it's not just me. It's just, It's just some – it could be anyone. If you if one person starts getting them, it the culture starts right there on the team. All of a sudden, we we lead the nation in interceptions. Grammys never done that before. I come to the Cowboys. I'm trying to survive, dude. They're throwing they're throwing at me all these times, fifteen, seventeen times a game. I get my eleven picks. Should have had more. I dropped. I don't know. I dropped about four or five. Wow. Okay. But but not only am I getting interceptions, we, as a team we're getting interceptions. Cowboys had never led the league in, in, reception, in interceptions before. Then here I come, one person starts doing it, everyone starts all of a sudden buying in. Dennis Thurman was already there. Dennis Thurman already had interception ideals. He's already done a pretty good job, and I tried to emulate him because we both were of the same body type, kind of. You know, we both were not that fast, but he, he was smart. And I, 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 I fancy myself as smart as well. Charlie Waters. Uh, I believe he's one of the leading interceptors in NFL history in the playoffs. So he already had that mindset as well. But for some reason, when I got there, it just all seemed to just click. Mike Downs comes in. Mike gets like seven interceptions, taking over for Cliff Harris. He and Charlie working together. Dennis Thurman goes to cornerback from safety. He ends up getting nine picks. So here we are, leading the nation, leading the league in interceptions. That goes on for a while, man. We we were known for giving up big plays, but also for making plays. Wow. And so I go from that environment in Dallas, uh a team that was number one in third down, that's that's the Cowboys, a team that was number one in interceptions, that's the Cowboys. Then I go to New York. Totally different environment. They don't give a damn about picks. Okay? And 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 that's great for me because you know, as far as I'm concerned, I'm going to enlighten them <laughs> on getting
1: <laughs> Show them
2: the way. That's my job. Okay. You, and I told Parcells, I said, Coach, I can help you guys, man. I remember sitting in Coach Parcells' office. I said, Coach, I can help you guys win the Super Bowl. And he looked at, you know, Coach Parcells, he's so pessimistic. You know, he's a Jersey guy. He like, yeah, whatever, kid. I remember he was like, yeah, whatever, <laughs> kid, you know. And I thought he was so cool how he just kind of dismissed me. I, I wanted to get mad but I couldn't because I I just liked the way he did it. He's like, yeah, whatever, kid. He I mean, just yeah, we're we're gonna take you on. We just want you to be our insurance clause. He said. I'm like, coach, I'm nobody's insurance clause. I said. If you I told him this. If you let me start, I will help you win a Super Bowl. And mm-hmm. he he blew me off. But I tell you, the person that didn't blow me off, he said, I want to introduce you to my defensive coordinator. You go down to Bill Belichick's office. You know. You guys, you guys can talk. That's going to be your guy. And when I met Belichick, he had the same look on his face that Coach Alan Holiday had at Bergner High School in Richardson, Texas, when I told him I wanted to try out for the football team. That was the same look, one of pleasant surprise. And Belichick's wheels must have been turning. I mean, like they were well oiled. You understand? And his entire thought process had to be, okay, I've got this guy, been underutilized with the Cowboys over the last few years, and now I can come and help him, res- his ha- help his career on a on a resurgence uh, path. And sure enough, that's exactly what he did had uh-huh. me playing safety because he knew I could roam the secondary make plays. Uh, he looked at me as a leader. Uh, he, he forced leadership responsibilities on me. You are not just a cornerback that's going to stay out there on the corner. You're going to be in the mix. You're going to be in the mental mix of this defensive scheme that that he loved, that he invented, that he had mastered. And to listen and watch him work, it was just as important in my life at that time as it was to listen to Eddie Robinson work uh-huh. and to watch him work. It was it was just as impactful because my my, my mind and my world was opened up to, you know, from being a cornerback and being isolated, which I, I totally enjoyed, didn't bother me at all, to more responsibilities, okay, more inclusiveness. Matter of fact, more decision making. You make the decision, Everson. You make the call. Okay? You know, here we are in this situation right here. I'm gonna leave this in your hands. If you need help, I'm gonna be here. But I'm leaving this in your hands. The system wasn't that complicated. It was just a matter of being timely. It's about timing. And that's what Bill that's what Belichick taught me. It was just like I said, and I ended up all of a sudden I'm this guy that goes from playing cornerback. All of a sudden, I'm in the middle of the mix. I'm in here hitting big offensive linemen. I'm covering these big slow tight ends. You know, I'm up here hitting these big freaking uh, fullbacks coming through these big agile running backs. I wasn't that crazy about it, okay, because the injuries started to pile up a little bit. But, you know, I wasn't going to punk out because I was in an environment in that New York locker room that was so inclusive. You know, everyone welcomed me. Um, amazingly they just welcome me they welcome me with open arms it's like hey man we've been waiting on you you know what i mean we've been waiting on a guy like you because they've had some good safeties there but none of them was of the turnover minded thought process like i like i was and once we got there of course i led that team in interception the first third down i got the i got an interception the first third down of the season i got an interception Wow. I remember going through training camp. I got so many interceptions off of Phil Simms and Hostetler. It was <laughs> it was it was a joke, dude. It was a joke. I was I think I I, I lost count. I had so many interceptions in training camp. I oh, lost man. count, dude. And I'm not just talking drills Eddie. I right? I'm talking, you know, game time situations in practice and things of that nature. It was just fun. Football was fun again after coming from the Cowboys and and the whole Jimmy Johnson, Jerry Jones thing, the whole 1-15 season in 89. Football was fun again. And, uh, I didn't, I, I, I knew that eventually I was going to start for this team. Perry Williams was a heck of a cornerback, but he just didn't have that, he didn't have that extra, that extra thread that they needed to, to, to finish the tapestry. You know what I'm saying? He wasn't intercepted minded. He wasn't big play. He wasn't a big play cornerback. You know, he wasn't the guy that was going to make the interception to change the game. He could cover, but he he wasn't. He needed that extra and that extra, and that extra was making the turnover,
1: right? Giving yeah. your
2: offense another chance.
1: Absolutely. And so,
2: I was able to uh, bring that kind of environment uh, into that entire team. You know, I led led that team uh, that year six interceptions, and all of a sudden, you know, you see more college making interceptions. You know, he was a pit bull. He wasn't known for making picks. All of a sudden, he's making interceptions. You know, the, the entire team, it was about interceptions. We weren't as plentiful as the Cowboys or the Grambling, but this defense was different because they were known for being the number one defense year in and year out in the league. And to be part of that and to lead that team and to be number one again and to go on and win that Super Bowl, man, that, that was that was by far the I love loved the MD eleven interception with the Cowboys. I loved every year leading them in the interception. That was great. But that nineteen ninety Giants team was by far the most satisfying the most satisfying professional year of football year period that, that I ever had. Wow. Ever had. Ever ever had that, that up to that point and ever did have.
1: Yeah, I can imagine. Of course, taking home that hardware, there's nothing like it. And of course, you made that big tackle against Thurman Thomas late in the game, which would, which would go on to be a huge play in that game. Now, Everson, before I let you go, there's two quick things I want to touch on. First, I gotta ask you this. I know, you know, you were an absolute turnover machine your whole life. You led the league. You're, you know, you're in company with Ed Reed, the only guy to, you know, lead the league in interceptions three times. You grew up in Dallas.
2: He's He's a safety. Safeties don't count. <laughs>
1: well, Do it well, as a corner, I,
2: impress me. Do it as a corner, then I'm impressed.
1: I, I can't argue with you there. As a guy who played corner in high school myself, I didn't have your ability, obviously. But uh, <laughs> and, anyway, Everson, you won a Super Bowl with the Giants. However, Cowboys Giants—they're playing in the big game, NFC Championship. Let's call it or any big game. Who you who you voting for, Everson? Who no, who you voting no for? brainer,
2: man. No brainer, Eddie. I'm sorry. I love my East Coast brothers and sisters, man. No brainer. I am a Cowboy fan. I grew up a Cowboy fan. Yes. I, the fact that I've been with both teams has caused a little rift in my family as well.
1: <laughs> oh, oh, oh. You know,
2: because they all appreciate the fact that the Giants brought me in and we were able to work it together and, and I got the ring. You know, we got the ring. But uh, and so that that took my baby brother. I took my baby brother to the Giants. He was no longer a Cowboy fan life. Oh wow! I bring him to I bring him to a Cowboys Giants game. This clown will come to the Cowboys game <laughs> with a Giants jersey on as my guest in oh, the AT&T Stadium. But oh,
1: the only Lord. thing,
2: it's a Walls jersey, Eddie. So we got. As long as
1: it's, it's an Everson Walls jersey, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Everson, the the last thing I want to touch on, man. Obviously, you know, you've had an absolute Hall of Fame worthy career. No, no doubt about it. Any. Any any idiot can see that. Uh, let me ask you something. I want to talk a little, before I let you go, off the field. You know, you were a great player, but also, you know, from what I've read and learned about you, you are also a great man off of the field. Uh, you, you were known for taking away on the field, but, you know, you mentioned your, your teammate and friend, Ron Springs, and I know that you did something uh, courageous and, and just absolutely selfless for this man. Can you Can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, you know, we, we, you're talking about my buddy Ron Springs, uh, Ohio State Buckeye, one of the biggest strapping men you've ever want to see. Uh, full bag he and Dorsett went in the backfield together. Uh, he always liked to brag that they were the most, uh, uh, how, how did he put it, they were the most uh, accomplished duo uh, in the history of all uh, offensive backfield. And I just I always had to tell him, dude, you could have put freaking. You know, Three Stooges with Dorsett, and they would have been the most, you know, effective backfield. So, you know, you don't get any marks on that. But he, he was a trash-talking brother, man. He was a guy that just kept everything going off the field. And he was also a leader on the field. The Cowboys just, they weren't ready for him. He was a little bit ahead of his time in regards to, you know, how you know he acted. He would have been, he was like T.O. before T.O. Somebody like that, you know. Little more in the hot lines of Hollywood Anderson, and but he was a he was a guy that you just loved being around. And his family got a great family. His wife's name is Adrian. Got kids. Sean Springs is his son. Everybody knows about him. Oh, played, absolutely! Um, One of my favorite players,
1: actually.
2: He, there you go. There you go. All that stuff that Sean does, he used to do all that stuff in my in my pool and in my backyard growing up. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, uh, all that athletic ability came from his dad. He was. You know, he was just, a, uh, Ron was an amazing athlete. And, you know, but, but we also had bad habits as well. So, along with his, uh, inherited, uh, diabetes, uh, you know, Ron, you know, we, he put get a good drink on. You know, he drank well. We, you know, we, we ate like, we, we ate like we were, you know, trying to get fat. You know what I mean? Because we worked out so much, you know. At twenty something years old, who's thinking about getting fat in your your athletes? you know what I mean right of course, so you're a professional athlete So, man, we sometimes we just overdid it, and you couple that with his uh the diabetes being uh hereditary in his family. It caught up with him, and he ended up being type two uh, uh being a type two diabetic before he passed on, but before he even got to that point, I could see it happening. He just ended up uh, you know his health was failing him and and I just tried to come to the rescue and Basically, I, people say, man, you you know, you're so unselfish. I, I tell them all the time. I was very selfish because I didn't want Ron to leave. I wanted Ron to stay around. It, mm-hmm. just, it wasn't fun without Ron, you know what I mean? So I would tell people I was very selfish in trying to keep Ron around. I wanted that spirit, that energy to be with me, you know, as long as, as it could be with me. I wanted his wife to be happy, you know, with him as long as she could be happy with him. I wanted my kids to love him as long as they could love him. That's really what I wanted. So, to, people say unselfishness. Now, that was I was definitely being selfish, and so I did what I could to try to keep him around. And you know, when I, when he was having issues and his health was failing, I, I I tried to step up and uh, donate my kidney to him, and we had you know a successful operation and things of that nature. It was uh, it was a, a long story behind it. I won't go into it, but you know I. I families and our, our loved ones and our fans, some of them were extremely su- surprised when it happened because we tried our best to keep it a secret. And even though it got out a little bit, uh, and thank God it did, uh, because it allowed us to to inspire a lot of people uh, as it was going on, you know, as people start to monitor the situation. And uh, people come up to me to this day uh, about friends and families and even themselves, who donated kidneys or received kidneys simply because of what uh, Ron and I went through uh they saw the press conference that we had. They may have read about it. They read my book uh a gift for ron and and they they will they they will come up to me man, old men, come up to me crying, Eddie <laughs> crying, dude one one tough guy, I hope we got enough time, but one tough guy man this old one of them old good old boys, white dude. Just old good old boy, I think he was on the cane. But he's one of those guys kinda like my dad, you know, old tough East Texas guys. Nobody cries in East Texas. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> just all tough guys. So this guy this guy comes up to me, stood in line the whole time, Eddie. He, he comes up to me and he looks at me and he shakes my hand and he had his hands in his pockets. After he shook my hand he just kinda looked like he's fumbling with his with the change in his pocket. You know how old guys are.
0: You we know, always right, fumbling right. with
2: change in our pockets. <laughs> Yeah, so he stands there and he just kind of stands there and he, he looks at me and he's just nodding his head, you know, very, you know, feverishly, like nodding his head, like, yeah, yeah, you're a good man. You're a good man. And he tried <laughs> to stop him crying and he couldn't. I was like, man, that oh, man. is so strong, dude. You know, here we are, different generations, different races, you know, uh, different uh, occupations and different lives. And this dude comes up to me. He stood in line. It was 20 deep at least. He stood in line, he comes up there, did not want an autograph. All he wanted to do was shake my hand and he and he he had very few words, but those words are very poignant to where he's like, You're a good man. Boom. That was it.
1: Mm. I was like, Wow. Right to the point. I just
2: kind of man, it was crazy, man. So that's that's kinda how it um, it affected a lot of different people, you know, in in, in the lives to where, you know, they, they looked at me differently. I was no longer a football player, just You know, just a guy that was, you know, trying to help out his
1: friends. So, yeah. Wow. It was was crazy. That's amazing. Everson, you know, you're a real inspiration both on the field and off the field. And I can't thank you enough for for taking the time out of your day to to talk to me for a little bit today. Uh, Great interview. Great great chat with you. Uh, Everson Walls, thanks so much.
2: Appreciate it, Eddie. Uh, just any time, man. You know, maybe next time I want to talk to you. But no, man, you told some great
1: stories, man. That was great,
2: Everson. You're the man. Can't thank you enough, buddy. No problem, Eddie. Man, good luck, man. Good luck, buddy. I right,
0: thank. Wow, Cowboys legend Everson Walls, and man, that was some great stuff he talked to us about. A uh, true pleasure to get a guy like that. True pleasure to get a legend on on the show like that. Uh, well, Cowboy Nation. Uh, 2016 it's it's been an up and down ride and uh Cowboy Nation let's let's take the positives out of this year and let's look towards next year as we're we're coming in strong we you know we're going to have a, a young cast of offensive studs coming into their sophomore season. We're going to get Jalen Smith back, draft pick this past season that has yet to touch the field. There's a lot to look forward for into 2017. And I think that 2017 will be the year of the Dallas Cowboys. So from here on out, let's do our best. Enjoy the rest of the season. Enjoy the Super Bowl. Look forward to the offseason and draft. This is the Big Star Show with Ed Cohen. Until next week,
2: take care.